message is a word of warning, and, um, and these are a series of woes that uh, the Lord Jesus is now uh, proclaiming and uh, really giving to the scribes and Pharisees, the teachers of the people, uh, because of everything that um, they really have become and are and are being warned over. So... Verse 16 says this, Woe to you, blind guides, who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. Verse 17 says, You blind fools. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, even as we read these Two verses. Lord, I know that sometimes the things that we make up in our own hearts, Lord, are, as, we, as we say them, Lord, um, and they come to, to our ears, Lord, they sound foolish. They sound foolish before you. Lord, swearing on the gold and not the temple, on this and not that, there's a uh, there are many things that before you, Lord, I pray, would break and crumble, exposing the reality of our hearts, that we would come to a place of forsaking all to follow you, repenting of anything that is not of you, and Lord, simply surrendering to our Lord and our Savior, the very word that governs our lives, that serves to protect and lead and, and bless you that we may be a people who are known, Lord, by the love that we have for you. And Lord Jesus, as you said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. And Lord, you have been clarifying your commandments to these people who are supposed to be teachers all the way through to this point. And I pray, Lord, that you would be patient toward us and continue to clarify your word to us that we might more closely follow your word and bless you. And I ask that you would do that this morning. That as we study your word, that you would help us to understand it, applying it to our lives, and bless you and glorify you. And so we commit this morning into your hands, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we continue this morning where we left off last Sunday, uh, with Jesus no longer asking questions, uh, with the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the lawyers and everyone that they've brought to Jesus, not daring to ask, not even one more question. At this point, uh, we know that Jesus has started to proclaim these woes toward the scribes and the Pharisees. And we'll conclude this morning um, with Jesus weeping over Jerusalem because his heart longs that they would have been willing to receive the protection, the salvation that he has come to offer for those who are in captivity to sin. The Jews are the very people that the Lord Jesus had been speaking to this whole time, going back and forth. 
But the one thing that they have denied up to this point is that He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is truly the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He don't, they don't understand that He is the Messiah, standing before them, answering these questions to perfection. And really all He longs for is that they would come to surrender their hearts to Him and believe who He is. And so with these woes, again, I want to remind you that these are words of warning. These are words that sometimes we, it would be fitting for us to hear. Woe to you if you remain in your sin, doing the things that you do, not fully understanding that what you do is totally in opposition to the Lord. It would be good for us to hear those things that we might be convicted in our hearts that we might come to repentance and to knowing God's grace and forgiveness. These woes are not final judgments, but are warnings to those to whom these truths apply. Jesus is expressing a strong disapproval of the wretched, describing exactly what he disapproves of, and he also tells them why. But Jesus' strong words of warning are tempered with his lament over Jerusalem. You know, we come to the end and we see, uh, we see it all the way through. We see Jesus' heart exposed. But at the end, all of those very strong words are really revealed in the final portion of this chapter. All of this is an exposure of his heart, including his heart toward the scribes, the Pharisees, the Herodians, the, all of the, the ones that had come before him. He wished that none should perish, and he still does today, but that all should come to repentance, to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, a surrender of our hearts toward him, knowing eternal life. So such is the case with us today. Jesus desires that we turn to him and see him for who he is, the Son of God who died for us and rose again on the third day, having victory over sin on the cross and death as he was resurrected from the grave. So woe to you. We'll start off with the first woe here in, again, verse 16. It says, Woe to you, blind guides, who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Swearing. I know as uh, young kids, um, we learned how to do that really well. You know, if you hang out with the rest of the Little guys, you know, you'll soon start saying yourself, I, I swear, you know, you swear by what? I <laughs> and it's, uh, it's something that we have in us. Why? Because 
we are sinful as kids. <laughs> and we learn how to say things like that, not knowing, ignorantly saying things that we shouldn't be saying. So this is woe number, as we've come to know, number four. Um, Exodus chapter 20, verse 7 says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Uh, to swear not by God's name. But everything else is really not breaking this law, is it? That, that's what the, the religious leaders of the time, that's what they were teaching. You know, what we covered was exactly what they were teaching. And so Jesus, again, is clarifying Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. You guys know that very well, right? And as he's speaking to the people... And he has been warning them of these teachers who are teaching things that they themselves do not follow. He's also telling the Pharisees and the scribes, this is exactly what you teach. These people had made up this complicated system by which they could take oaths and determine which ones were good oaths and which ones were really weak and uh, you could break them. That, that was a promise that you made, but it was on the... It was on the temple. It wasn't really on the gold of the temple. And so Jesus was saying, which is greater? Is it the temple that makes the, the, the gold sacred or, or the gold? But he's making a point. He's not giving justification for this complicated system of oaths. He's clarifying. Jesus was pointing out some flaws, even in their own system of oaths, that could and could not be taken. Ones that could be broken and others that could absolutely not be broken. At all costs, you need to follow through with that one. Why? Because you swore on. And so Jesus emphasized that the temple was greater than the gold and that the altar was greater than the sacrifice that was placed upon it. The temple was sacred and all that was in it. The altar is sacred and all that is placed upon it. Jesus was telling them that even in this, even in your teaching of this, you've missed the whole point. You've missed entirely Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. You've missed it. You are blind. You cannot see what is clear and really should be simple to understand. We can do that amongst ourselves. We can do that. Oh, really what that means is, you know, and then, and then start making up our, our, our own rules. It's like, no, some things are extremely simple, and God designed them that way. You know, Dr. Larry Powers, and he is a doctor also. He's a doctor. He's the dean of Calvary Chapel Bible College in um, Golden Springs, Calvary Chapel Golden Springs. He's a highly educated man. He's a dear brother in the Lord. And he will tell you, he did not need a doctorate in order to come and teach the word or to understand it. You and I, that, you know, have a simple understanding of the word, understand it just as well as he does. He will just break it down. I love Larry Powers because our brother Larry, he'll break it down. I love it. Uh, as J. Vernon McGee would say, he, would put the, he puts the cookies on the bottom shelf that everyone could reach him. That's how it should be. These Pharisees and these scribes were doing something completely different. 
they were creating and teaching uh, something that was beyond the word. They were putting the cookies on the top shelf and only certain select people could reach that. It's not the way it should be. And so Jesus is clarifying. He's saying, no, listen, you've missed it completely. This commandment is not what you've made it to be. Again, I remind you of what, he, what Jesus had already taught. He had already clarified this back in Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37. He says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord all that you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil or from the evil one. He'd already clarified it. He had taught this. Seems by what James wrote that there were those who did learn from what Jesus had taught. They understood it perfectly. And so James 5.12 says, But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. You don't have to make an oath. You don't have to swear by anything. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Be a, a man or a woman of your word. And so Jesus teaches that every oath made is before God. And this is really what they needed to understand. That's what we need to understand today is that every oath that we take, every promise that we make, here's another word to use for that is you make a promise, follow through with it. That's an oath you've promised before the Lord. He's in your presence. He has been witness to what you've said. That should be simple enough. Every oath is made before God and is binding. We will be held accountable for what we say. Our words count and will be brought before us to judge whether we are men and women of our word or not. And so we will have to give an account. The Bible says, for every word that we have spoken. So choose wisely what you say. Sometimes it's better to not say a thing, to just keep quiet and just allow things to work out. Sometimes it's just something minimal that you have to say. But just know that we will be held accountable for every word that comes out of our mouths. Woe number five, verse 23, as we continue. Jesus continues to speak, saying, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. Justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. And if you wanted to chuckle a little bit at the end there. You know, I was thinking, some of you may have um, thought about this before. Is, does, does God have a sense of humor? Yeah, he uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, right? You think of that, it's like, ah, that, that sometimes, it, it, it's interesting how it is that 
a person who seems, seems like, I was talking about being highly educated, not being educated. Sometimes it's just a simple person that I just know this and that is it. Makes more sense than the person that twists everything up with all kinds of words, right? Remember how it is that God spoke uh, to this one gentleman through a donkey, <laughs> right? You think about these things, it's like, Lord, these things are amazing, absolutely amazing. And no doubt when Jesus was speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees that this picture came up in their minds of all the people. Boy, you strain a gnat, but you eat a camel. It's like, that is amazing. What a picture, and one that more than likely, like I said, drew perhaps a chuckle or two from the people and those that heard this and passed it along to others. He said, what? Yeah, in comparison to what they do, this is... This is the the picture that he gave. You will never forget that, will you? A gnat and a camel. We'll explain. Jesus was comparing what they were meticulously careful to observe with what they neglected to pay attention to in great detail. That's what he was comparing. Their tithing, oh, guys, you are spot on. Down to the herbs that you collect out of your garden. You just split split it, and part of that is your tithe, and it comes. But yet, what should have been central in your worship is lacking, is falling short. What is that? Justice, mercy, faithfulness. It's one of those things that we can do. We can check off. We've done... A, B, C, one, two, three, one, two, three, and yet our hearts are far from God. Justice. Being merciful toward each other. Being faithful toward God. Falling short. Judgment, mercy, and faith are still today's subjects that should be thought of carefully and applied in everyday living. As a Christian, as a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ, Our judgment slash discernment should be exercised and lead us well. Judging what is good and also judging what is bad and making decisions accordingly, according to the Word of God. You know the Word of God, you'll be able to judge, you'll be able to discern well and rightly. Our mercy should also be exercised towards others, giving us restraint, patience, and withholding untimely reaction to people and situations. Like I said, sometimes the wisest thing to do is just to simply be patient. Withhold any kind of reaction, any kind of response at the very moment that you feel compelled to react or respond. And just at the right time, it's amazing how a well-placed word... uh, an act of mercy, how that just turns and melts the hearts of others around us, and it pleases God. That's one thing that they were lacking. They were also lacking judgment. Obviously, they were being corrected in their teaching. You're judging incorrectly. And your mercy, well, it's faltered. Our faith is to be expressed by our actions toward God especially in our love toward each other. So by the way we love each other, others will know that we are 
disciples of Jesus Christ, that we are His, that we belong to Him. By the love that we have for one another, He'll be glorified. Let your works be demonstrated, not for the sake of demonstrating, but just because of who you are, and glorify our Father who's in heaven. But it's because of our faith toward the Lord that should be expressed in our love toward each other. Jesus was telling them, you would strain your drink for the sake of a gnat, having fallen into it. Um, this morning, we were, we were talking about, you know, well, what's the message about? And, and so I told Bettina, you'll hear it about 10 30 or so. And I did. I actually did. She goes, oh, you can't give me a preview? And I said, yeah. Let's talk about the gnat and the camel, right? And so she had her cup of coffee, and I said, just, just imagine for a moment that a gnat fell into it. And, and then because you still wanted your coffee... Um, you would have to take your coffee, but without the gnat. You'd have to take your, your coffee, put it through a strainer, and there's the gnat, there's your coffee, and now you can drink it, right? Now, they weren't doing it because it was gross. Because we would do it because, oh, that's gross. You know, a gnat fell in there, you know. I don't even want to drink it at all, right? How many of you would drink your coffee anyway? Yeah? Wow. <laughs> Die hard. <laughs> Caffeine! Right? <laughs> Hook me up. <laughs> yeah, I need to, need to pray for you. <laughs> they're, they're, or the, even with the camel, wow. <laughs> That's a lot of flavor. Whew, yeah. <laughs> they were doing it for a completely diff- different reason, though. That gnat, it wasn't kosher, it was not properly bled. Therefore, it cannot be consumed because we need to be ceremoniously clean. And so, but they were willing to do that. Oh, and that fell in there, you know. And again, just the picture that Jesus was drawing for them is beautiful because this is exactly, he's comparing it. This is what it compares to. You tithe from your herbs, but yet neglect the weightier matters. And it looks, to me, it looks like this. You want to be right, and so you strain a net. And yet, because you don't pay attention to these others and don't keep them, it's like swallowing a camel. Think about that. You're truly blind. And, and you're, you're a hypocrite. You guys are hypocrites. You're blind. Please note that Jesus said, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Sometimes we say, well, these are more important than the others. No, no, no. The whole counsel of God is important. And so we can't neglect one for the sake of the other. Otherwise, we'd fall into the same error. And so this and the other. And the Lord is saying, lay it all out. These are the things that should be central. In fact, your tithing should be the fruit of your heart toward me. You being, having good discernment, having good judgment, being faithful, being merciful. Those are all things that are a product of you loving me. And also, by the way, tithing and making your offerings, your gifts, all of that. What they were doing looked 
like straining gnats and swallowing camels, and he called them blind, and he called them hypocrites. Woe number six, verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Um, they were being accused of being more concerned with their outward appearance than their internal condition. That's really the bottom line here, right? This is a clear illustration of what Jesus was accusing them of. Oh, you look good on the outside, and you are so concerned with your outward appearance. You look so religious, so pious, so holy. Your tassels are long. Your big boxes, phylacteries are, are just beautiful. But your inward man is not so clean, is not pure. You're lacking godliness and a righteous spirit. An outward righteousness cannot be manufactured with external adornments or rituals or religious practices. A a true outward righteousness is the product of a life that tends to the inner man, allowing and submitting it to the very word of God and the spirit of God and understanding his love for the person, for you and I, in responding in an appropriate manner. We love because he first loved us. We come to that realization. So we need to, you know, with this, outwardly we can look so good. But how is our, what is the condition of our heart? We need to allow the Lord to check our heart. Is it full of greed? Is it full of self-indulgence? Because these were the people who were being accused of that very thing that knew the heart of man. Jesus knew their hearts. He says, hey, listen, you're full of this. You're full of greed and self-indulgence. These men were never satisfied with what they had and were always seeking to get what others had. They were self-serving and Jesus was saying that this was the mark of an unclean vessel. Look good on the outside, but inside you're unclean. Psalm 139 verses 23 and 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Oh, the heart of the psalmist, the heart of a man who was deemed by God as a man after my own heart. The man who knew that his sin was against the Lord and toward the Lord in him alone. A man who knew how to repent when conviction came upon him, knowing that this was the truth of the matter. A man who would always seek after God and would rather fall into his hand than into the hands of man. A man that was blessed by God and through whom came our Savior, Jesus Christ. This was the man who said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. This should be our heart. That again is sometimes we hear these words, Woe to you! Woe to you! That we would heed those words and say, Lord, you know, what, what is it? Search my heart. Reveal in me anything that is not of you. 
anything that is bringing shame upon you. And help me to repent. Help me to turn from those things and turn to you. That my life would reflect you and bring you glory. That others would be led to you by my life, not turned away. Some more woes, though. Woe number 7, verse 27 says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So he continues on with this one. This woe is similar to the previous and was common to, and it was common in that day to whitewash the tombs, especially during Passover. And we need to be reminded of what week we're in. We're in Passion Week, right? We're coming to Passover. It's similar to when we have special events in downtown Riverside. You know, buildings get a fresh coat of paint and landscaping is touched up. Uh, Sidewalks get pressure washed and so do buildings and you know it all looks really nice you know the the streets you know uh, even though the potholes probably remain there's a fresh black layer that goes over (laughs) we have a lot of potholes in southern california but uh, but a lot of these things get fixed in those areas right it's all in preparation for the festival of lights or whatever else is going on in that area. If nothing's fixed inside these buildings, and water is still not sufficient to support such landscaping, and the streets underneath are eroding, then it's all for nothing. It's all a show. It's all whitewashed. The first rain comes, it all go away. Look good for a, a moment, but then it's all gone. And Jesus was telling these guys that they were like these whitewashed tombs. You all are like these whitewashed tombs. Oh, you look good on the outside, but inside you're dead and full of lawlessness. What you are supposed to be an expert in, that is the law, you're failing at it. Please listen and please understand. Please come to a level of comprehension here. I want you, and this is God's desire. He desires for us to have full understanding. The Apostle Paul said this when he rebuked Ananias. Acts 23.3 says, Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you still sitting to judge me according to the law, and yet contrary to the law you order me to be struck? Um, This was a situation where Paul obviously... Um, exercised little restraint. He exercised little restraint and at the same time spoke truth, right? But he was telling, hey, you're, you look good on the outside, but you do what you do without full knowledge. And so they knew very well, and my point that I'm making is that they knew very well exactly what Jesus was saying here, and they knew very well exactly what Paul was saying when he said what he said about being whitewashed. You guys know um, uh, whitewash, it's really easy to come off. It, it, it's like getting paint and watering it down with, with water. Just uh, imagine that and then painting something. After a while, you can see through it and, 
you know, you've watered it down to the point to where the first rain comes and it washes off most of it altogether. That, that's all it is. And he's saying, you're looking good on the outside, but on the inside, man, you're dead and you're lawless. The thing with us is that we need to be more concerned about our inward righteousness before God than our outward appearance of righteousness before people. We need to submit to the Lord and, and ask the Lord, just as the psalmist asked, you know, reveal to me, what, what is it that is not of you? And I'm willing to do away with it. I don't want to, you know, it doesn't matter how I appear before other people. I want to appear before you in the right manner. Because God knows our hearts. We can get really good at fooling others, but we can never fool God. Never fool God. And then finally, woe number eight. Verse 29 says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up, then, the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers, How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Jesus had been laying out one by one the inconsistency within the teaching of these Jewish leaders. But the one that was most serious we've come to now, it's immediately relevant to the moment in which he is speaking, that is Passion Week. Uh, it was their rejection of Jesus Christ in that week their ultimate rejection of him that sent him to the cross. They had previously rejected and brought to martyrdom those whom God had sent to them previously. All the prophets coming, being sent to his people. These people disavowed the sins of their forefathers and yet made every attempt to honor them by building and decorating uh, these memorials, these stones, these mausoleums. You know, they, were, they were decorating them and making them look really nice. But they admit that they were linked by their ancestry to those wicked people that rejected the prophets sent by God, and they even killed them. And with full knowledge, in verse 32... Jesus says these words and orders them to go ahead and finish their dirty work. And Jesus is telling them, go on and finish what your ancestors have started. Verse 32, once again, Philip, then the measure of your fathers. It's the full cup. And Jesus was telling them that the blood of the righteous martyrs cries out, to the Lord from A to Z. You know, we understand from A to Z being a completion, right? So 
uh, Zechariah is found in 2 Chronicles chapter 24. And in the Hebrew Bible, uh, we start out in Genesis with Abel. He was the first martyr. And then we go all the way through to the last book of the Hebrew Bible, which is 2 Chronicles. And we see Zechariah. In chapter 24, verse 22. So the Lord knew from A to Z, the blood of the righteous martyrs cry out to God. These are words from Jesus that should have cut to the core. It's one of those things, Lord, you know all things. Yeah, you know, all these things are brought to our attention. They should have cut to the core, these words. We know that Jesus did not want the people to be deceived by the teachings of these men. And Jesus also did not want the teachers to perish, but desired above all that they would come to the place of repentance. That's what he desired above all else. And yet they rejected him. And with all of this said, the heart of Jesus is exposed further with full lament over Jerusalem. He knows that they, all of these people, are going to reject him. He's crying over Jerusalem. He's coming to this place. He's given a word of warning. All of these woes to the scribes and the Pharisees. You hypocrites. You blind guides. You whitewashed tombs. You have no idea. You miss a full understanding of my word. And you teach these things. And all of this is tempered by this final portion of this chapter. Because as Jesus comes to this place to where he oversees Jerusalem, he laments, and Luke tells us that he wept over Jerusalem. Verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is referring to Jesus' second coming. Much needs to happen between the the point where uh, God's people confess that. But what happens between the time that Jesus proclaimed these woes to the scribes and Pharisees to the time that he's going to the cross to the time of his second coming? Well, this is where we're at right now. And Jesus looked over Jerusalem and he longed for and he desired to bring them under his wing. To be brought under the protection of the Messiah and yet they rejected him. They were not willing. Jesus gives the picture of danger lurking. And a mother hen tucking all of her chicks under her protective wings. Have you ever seen a hen do this? I have. Has anybody seen this? Yeah, you see, you see a hawk circling overhead. You will know when one is circling overhead. You won't know. But you'll know if you look at a, a, a hen and her little ones, her little chicks, when they all go under a tree, and once they go under a tree, they go under mom. And she's there. Boom. Her wings go over them. And not a peep. It's all quiet. Because they know that danger is above but they're safe under mom's wings. 
And this is the picture that Jesus is giving us today. This is what he desires. Come under my covering. Please come under my protection. Uh, Believe that I am your protection. I'm your covering. Because this is what he was longing for, for his people, for his fellow Jews, for Jerusalem. And he extends to us today. They were not willing to run to Jesus and tuck under his covering. And the predicted destruction would come to pass. That's what he knew completely. And it was a heartfelt farewell at this point. In these warnings and woes is the heart of God. And that's really always what what we want to expose. And any teaching is, is not anything else but really the heart of God. That's what these verses exposes, is the very heart of God. He teaches, and He explains, and He also warns that we would have full understanding. That we would have full understanding. When His eyes look upon you and longs to bring you in and under His wing, what does He see and how do you respond? That's what matters. How do we respond? God's desire is that No one should perish. Not even the scribes and the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the Herodians and all of those people who were opposing him and trying to corner him. No, he desired that with these warnings they would come to see where they erred and that they would confess and repent of their sin. The question for us this morning is, are, are you willing to run to the Lord? Are you willing They weren't willing, but are are you willing? Because you will find rest and peace and the burden of sin lifted completely off from on you. This weight will be lifted completely off of you. When when he places his wing upon you, you stop thinking of any danger whatsoever because you're secure in Christ. You will know hope. You will know joy. As you come to Jesus, you will know eternal life as you surrender to Him and ask Him to be your Lord and Savior. And you will know a life that is complete, content, and satisfied in Him. You will not look toward others and long for what they have. For you will know that you have everything in Christ Jesus. And as your eyes are fixed on Him, you long for the day that you are in His presence for all eternity. That's what will matter most. And the way you live your life will be in response to His love, bringing Him glory and praise and honor. You will submit yourself to being humbly corrected that you may be righteous and pure and clean and holy before a holy and righteous and pure God. That you would be a a man or a woman that would reflect His glory toward others and lead others to Him just as you have been led. That's what God desired in our study this morning in how He addressed the Pharisees and the scribes and how He lamented over Jerusalem. It's the same thing for us today. How is it that he is drawing him, uh, you unto himself? By his love. That's how, he, that's how he draws us unto himself. 
by the love that he demonstrated for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's, it's that love that we look to in awe and we say, wow, if he went to those lengths. What is it that I have left but to give my life to him, my Savior and my God? May he be my Lord. May I stand with him and in him and under his protection. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your grace. We are so thankful, Lord, that you look to all mankind and desire that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We thank you that before we could ever get to a place to where we would remotely come to a place of being accepted by you, which we know that's a futile attempt, Lord. You sent your own son to this earth to die in our place and pay in full the penalty of our sin. That by the shedding of his blood, we have remission of sin. And Lord, for us, we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. May our lives, Lord, truly be surrendered to you, allowing you to do with us what you will, that we would bring you glory all the days of our lives until the moment we take our last breath here and our first breath in your presence for all eternity. I pray for my brothers and sisters here. Lord, fill each one with your spirit. Lead and guide according to your word. And I pray for anyone here who does not know you personally, Lord. I pray that this would be the day of salvation. This moment, Lord, your love would call on them and that they, they, and they would respond, Father, by simply surrendering their lives to you and knowing eternal life, by being forgiven of all their sins and knowing eternal life by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.